This program is sponsored by Blazing Grace Ministries. This radio program is PG-13. Parents strongly caution some material may be inappropriate for children under the age of 13. Send me Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host, Mike Janung. Hey, Mike Janung here, and welcome back to Blazing Grace Radio. Thank you for joining us. In 2005, I attended a writer's conference in Colorado Springs where I met... Eva Marie Everson, and she has helped me a lot during that time, and she actually edited my first book and helped me start publishing some of my articles. She's a fantastic lady. She is an award-winning author and speaker who hails from Sylvania, Georgia. She's CEO of Word Weavers International and the director of the Florida Christian Writers Conference. Her recent work, The Third Path, won the 2023 AWSA Book of the Year Award. She and her husband are parents of three children who have blessed them with grandchildren. And Eva Marie, welcome to the program. My goodness, Mike. So good to hear your voice again. Thanks, and you too. So in your book, The Third Path, which I have in my hand, in the beginning you tell a story when you were leading a women's retreat and you wanted to lead the women into 60 seconds of silence, and that got sabotaged. So tell us that story. <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those moments that should have been uh, just a blip on my radar, but it has stuck with me all these years because of how the notion of finding quiet time and finding silence has kind of become a mission almost in my life. But I was I was speaking at a, a women's conference, and it had become the, the cool of the evening, and uh, it was, we were up in the mountains, it was dark outside, it was quiet, you know, a few little insects chirping and that kind of thing. And um, and I was talking about silence. I was talking about finding God in the silences and uh, reminding the women how important silence is. And yet we are so unaccustomed to it that we get a little nervous when we are around it, kind of, you know, just, just trying to say to them, but what if you were, were just to start with like 30 seconds or a minute a day of just pure silence, just trying to find as much silence as you possibly can. And so let's let's just experiment with it for just a moment. I'm going to give you something to think about. And, you know, I may have said something like grace or whatever. And uh, and I said, I just want you to just, just think about that for one solid minute. And so I said, everybody just, you know, close your eyes and let's be real quiet. And, of course, I'm watching my watch. I'm watching the minute hand on my watch. And everything got very quiet. And then uh, about 10 seconds in. I noticed someone near the back of the room stand up and slip over to where the sound system was. And she turned on music and it was lovely music. It was very quiet. It was instrumental. It was uh, like, you know, a hymn. Uh, and she turned it down really, really low. And I, I just waited until the minute was over. And I said, okay, open your eyes. And I said, how was that minute of silence? And someone near the front said, well, it wasn't exactly silence. And I laughed and the ladies laughed and, 
the, the woman who did it later apologized. She said, you know, I didn't even think about that. And I said, yeah, see, that's, that's just how uncomfortable we are with silence. So then the next question is, why are we so uncomfortable with silence? Well, because we don't have enough of it, first of all, in our lives. And we're always, afraid, <laughs> for one thing, we're always afraid of what, what we don't know. Um, but, you know, I think back to when I was, uh, was married to my first husband, and it was a very tumultuous marriage. And uh, we weren't married long. But when I got out of the marriage, um, it, I, I was just so, I was just kind of messed up, to be honest. I, I couldn't understand why God had let me marry this man and um and why i had had to go through everything i had gone through within the marriage and so uh, i would you know i had um an interesting work schedule at that time didn't get off until about 8 30 at night and uh and instead of just going back to my apartment where i i lived alone instead of at that time i lived alone instead of going back to my apartment um i i had all these little places i would go to like you know places that i knew were open late and uh, and then I, you know, had friends there. For example, uh, there was like a little 7-Eleven that was not too far from my apartment. And I knew the girl that worked there every night because I went there every night. And I would just go in and, and chat with her and anything to keep from going home. Because once I got home, I, I got into the silence. And within those silences, I would hear God speak to me. And I was too angry to talk to God right then. I was very angry with him. But I also was afraid of what he might say to me, what he might how he might be directing me next. And it wasn't until sometime later when I was being silent before the Lord and I was journaling that I, I wrote in my journal, why did you allow me to marry this man? If you already knew how it was going to turn out, if you knew that there was going to be uh, violence and there was going to be infidelity and all of that, why did you allow me to marry this man? And as I was writing and in that silence with no music playing or anything, I just kind of heard that still small voice of the Lord say, I don't ever remember you asking me. Mm. And that was true. I never did. It seemed perfect. Everything about the relationship seemed perfect. But I had never sought the Lord to ask him if, if this was what I should do. Wow, that's powerful. I mean, and that goes back to so much that we don't sometimes think to ask God, do you want me to go in this direction until the mess blows up? And then we say, why? <laughs> why did you let me go there? <laughs> Yeah, and and the funny thing is, as I look back now, and this was a long, long time ago. I've I've been married to my current husband about forty five years, so this was a long, long time ago. Um, but I look back now, and during the engagement period, God had put up several roadblocks, and I but I didn't see them as roadblocks. I just saw them as distractions, you know. And I remember my parents both saying to me, "Are you sure this is the right thing? Are you sure?" And even as my father and I were getting ready to walk up the aisle, uh, my father said, we can turn around right now and go home if this isn't the right thing. Mm. And I, you know, so, so it wasn't like God wasn't trying to stop me. But what happens during that time period? Oh, you're so, so busy. I worked full time. I was a nurse and I was working 11 to 7. Back in those days, we only worked eight hour shifts. So I was working 11 to 7, which made it very difficult to plan a wedding when you're supposed to be sleeping. So I would have to come home and get as much done as I could get done and then try to sleep a little bit and then get up and then get ready and, you know, go back to work and, and that kind of thing. And um, so there was no time like, you know, we we weren't making time, I should say. I was not making time to just be quiet before the Lord. And I, and I don't want to I don't want to kick myself too hard on this because I was young and I didn't really understand about being quiet before the Lord. If I if there was if there's one thing I could teach young people uh, young believers today is 
find the quiet times and rest before him and listen to him. That's a great point. And when I speak or when I'm doing counseling, I'll encourage people to spend an hour alone in silence with the Lord each day. And usually a lot of the response is, I'm too busy. And Right. But, an hour. <laughs> but what happens is, I don't know if people are wearing these numbers, but the average American will spend 900 hours a year in social media, another mm-hmm. 900 hours a year in watching TV, in another 728 hours a year playing video games. So that's 2,500 hours a year we're spending on entertainment, not to mention sports venues and other entertainment options. So is it really a matter that we don't have the time or is something else out of whack? It's, It's that we're not making the time. And that's why I encourage, when I'm speaking, I encourage start with one minute, then go to five, and then go to ten. And I promise you that once you get to that place, you you will not want that time to end. And I mean, I'm just as guilty of it. You know, it's very easy to get really busy with what we do when we're in ministry. And we think that the ministry somehow takes the place of the time with God. But what I have done, and I enjoy doing very much, I, I try to set these up as often as I can. I call them Jesus dates. And I just have, I just have time with God. I have time in his word. I, you know, I may play praise and worship music in the background, but, and I'm usually sitting here at my desk or on my sofa, but I, I open up the word and my journal and I just get into the word and, um, I have a hard time getting back out. Mm. (laughs) So that's what I'm saying. Once you start doing it, you don't you don't want to get out because it's just so rich. It's so lovely and it's so wonderful. Well, yeah, and if we're really connecting with God, that's where the joy and the peace and the restoration begin to come. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned in ministry, we're pouring out. So if you're continually pouring out, that's a recipe for burnout if you never have time with the Lord. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. In, that's right. In your book, and then what happens is, yeah, you just then you have nothing to give and. And this is also when, as ministry leaders or ministers of, of any kind, uh, this is when um, I always say the devil gets a toehold. And if you're not careful, you'll you'll fall because mm-hmm. you weren't paying attention. You were you were so focused on really I, really the little things that you thought were the big things that you missed the biggest thing of all. And that's all Satan needs. It was Corey Ten Boom who said, "If God can't make you bad, He makes you busy." Right. In your book, you write, yeah. did you know that the words listen and silent use the same letters? I thought that was quite clever. And how can yeah. we truly listen, meaning to not only hear, but to understand unless we remain silent enough and long enough to take in what another is saying, especially when that other is God? And mm-hmm. so talk about listening prayer, because I think a lot of people think prayer is just talking. <laughs> It's all talking. It's all it's all the grocery list. You know, dear God, this is what I want. Da, 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 da. You know, and sometimes you're praying for others and that's obviously a wonderful thing, you know, bless my family, uh, be with my friend Jill who has cancer, you know, that kind of thing. And that's and that's good. But um what if you lived with your spouse all those years and you were the only one doing the talking? I mean, what kind of relationship is that? And he is our heavenly bridegroom. 
So what does listening look like when it comes to the Lord? You know, um, I had a couple of experiences uh, somewhat early on in my in my ministry, and, and I talk about both of these in the book, The Third Pass. Um, the first one was a, a, a silent retreat that I went to that was led by Robert Benson, and I, I talk about Robert several times in the book. Uh, he is just has been one of the greatest influences in my life spiritually. Um, in fact, the, the book is in part dedicated to him. But uh, we went to the silent retreat, and, and i got to be honest, when, <laughs> um, the, the reason that I was going is because I had met Robert, and he had written this book called Living Prayer, and I had taken several copies back to the leadership of my church, and they decided that they wanted to have Robert uh, come and lead this silent retreat, and they wanted me to be there because they wanted me to be the one to pick him up from the airport since he knew me and take him to the retreat center. So, uh, you know, all the way to the retreat center, I kept thinking, a silent retreat, I, I'm just not really sure. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to be able to handle this. Um, and those those first couple of minutes were somewhat terrifying, but as we as the silence went on and it went on and went on, and we were out in the middle of nowhere, we were in uh on the Oklahoma River in, in Florida, um, I began to treasure that silence. And I almost dreaded when we would start speaking again, although when we did start speaking again, it was because we had, uh, you know, gone into uh, morning prayer and um, and started off with silence and then, and then what was speaking. But while we were there, Robert said something that just really uh, rocked my world, and that was the only person who knows what God has said spoken into your life is you, but you won't hear him if you don't hush. Mm. And so I, I have, I had that moment. And then not too long after that, I went to Israel to write a book with my Jewish friend, Miriam Feinberg, the most called uh, Reflections of God's Holy Land, a personal journey through Israel. And, and so there we were a Jew and a Christian, two women uh, journeying through the Holy Land, taking photographs, um, writing. Miriam is an expert in the land of Israel. Uh, she was, you know, writing out of the rabbinical and the scriptural and, and, and the historical and all of that. And I was writing out of what the Holy Spirit was doing to me and within me in each one of these places. And we had, we had gone to Engedi, and Engedi is kind of in the desert. This is where David hid from Saul. And I was having such a time of it, such a wonderful time of it. And Miriam said, I wish that I could take you into uh, the, the the true desert. I wish that I could take you into Nahalzin and um, oh gosh, I can't think of the uh, I can't think of the other place. But at, but any at any rate, way down into the desert. And I said, well, why can't we go? Well, we can. Well, then let's go. So off we went, and we got further and further into the desert on foot, and the silence was incredible. And I said to Miriam, listen to that. Listen to the silence. And she said, there are three words for desert in Hebrew. And one of them, which is where we are right now, is midbar, M-I-D-B-A-R, midbar. The root word is dabar. And that root word means to listen, to hear. And the sages say, and the rabbis say, she said, that to hear God, you must first go into the desert. Mm -hmm. So those two things totally resonated with me, came crashing in on me. And I just thought, you know, we go through these wilderness moments in our lives. But the thing about the midbar is that this is where you would take the sheep to grace. 
you could, they could graze there, but they couldn't live there. So you can hang out, but you don't want to live there. And, and of course, we have those desert moments in our lives when we are we feel like we're in a dry and barren place, and it's not. It's not a completely barren place. There is something to feast on, and that something is the whispers of God. Mm-hmm. But we have to be quiet. And that's what happens when we get into the wilderness moments of our lives. We are almost struck dumb. And so drawing quiet, now we can hear him. And nobody wants to live there forever. But we certainly don't want to miss out on all those moments when we can hush and he can speak. Yeah, I love it. I go here in Phoenix, of course, we're surrounded by desert. And about once every two to three months, I go alone to the desert for a two to three day stretch. Um, being out there just walking with the Lord and listening. And I almost walked into a rattlesnake two years ago. But, um, <laughs> but those times are just wonderful. It's, I'm tasting heaven. And part of it for me is the stripping down. When we strip ourselves mm-hmm. down of everything, now we're in a position to receive everything that God wants to say, give us. And sometimes that's conviction of sin. And I like what you said um, a few moments ago. We're afraid of what God might say. And there's times when he... Yeah. There's that obedience thing, isn't there? Yes, yes. I, you know, I, I jokingly tell the story when I speak and, and just in, in chatting. There was a young girl, young teenage girl, and had been walking with the Lord my whole life, really. Um, I, I, anytime the missionaries came to church, like the missionaries are going to be here on Sunday night, and they're going to show their slides, you know, those kind of things. I always got a terrific stomachache, terrific stomachache, and I would not go. And it, years later, my mom and I were talking about this, and, and she said, yeah, you always had a stomachache every time the missionaries came. And I said, I was terrified that God was going to call me to the mission field, hmm. absolutely terrified that he was going to call me to the mission field. And the reason that I was terrified of that is because I just will not, I would not do well without a proper bathroom. <laughs> just too much of a girl, Right. But but God, you know, now being a little bit older, I can say God in his infinite wisdom would have known better. You know, he would have said, no, she wouldn't do good out there. You know, so so he called me to a different kind of mission field. But see, that's the thing. We don't we're so afraid of what God might call us to. And yet I also now I'm mature enough to tell you that if God had called me to the mission field, if God had called me to a third world country, then he would have equipped me with everything I needed for that. And that. You know, I'm just too much of a girl issue would not have been an issue anymore. Mm. But I didn't know that then. Well, I know there's plenty of times in my own life when the Lord pointed me in a direction to do something, and I was thinking, I don't want to do this. Right. And then, <laughs> I um, <laughs> and then I finally, okay, I'll do it. And then always at the end, it's like, oh, man, you know what you're doing, don't you? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, that was, you know, like I always say that, when God calls us to something and we fight with him, he wins and we walk away with a limp. That's the way it works. That's the way it worked for Jacob. That's the way it works for us. And I know even for myself, when God called me to this position, this leadership position within Word Weavers International, I I didn't want to do it. I did not want to do it. I I had my own plans and I argued with God, don't you know what I've been doing all these years? I've been preparing for this and this. And and God was like, yeah, I was there. And actually, I've been preparing you for something else. Well, you can fight with him all you want. But once you fall into God's plan for your life, 
which you will figure out in those silent moments, then that is the sweetest spot of all. So what would you say to the person who says that God does not speak outside of the Bible and he doesn't speak to people directly? Pooh. <laughs> How's that? Absolute pooh. You know what? God didn't die with Peter and Paul. He still speaks. And he speaks sometimes in very direct ways, sometimes. And I still think that, that God speaks in dreams because I've had dreams where you know, like I'm I'm wrestling with something and I'm not getting a clear answer. And then I have a dream and there's the answer. And I wake up in the morning. I'm like, that's it. That's the answer. That's I know that that was a gift from God. And then sometimes um, God will speak to us in you know through other people. Let me just give you an example. Four years ago in, in August, four years ago, my brother passed away. He was my baby brother. He had been diagnosed with terminal cancer 13 weeks previous to that. My brother was not married. He did not have children. He was a lifelong, you know, confirmed bachelor. And uh, and as I said previously, I had, you know, my nursing experience. And so uh, as soon as I got the call that my brother needed me, I took off and I went back to Georgia and I spent 13, almost 13 weeks with him. Um, I, I did come home for two weeks uh, in two different trips. But um, so I spent 11 of those 13 weeks with him. And, and as we we drew closer to the death uh, of my brother. We were, he was in hospice. I was staying with him in the hospice center and we had had a particularly bad night, a very, very bad night. And, and by this point, Mike, I was so exhausted. I couldn't see straight. I couldn't think straight. I couldn't read. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do anything. There was no reading the Bible. There was no listening to music. There was no nothing because I was just absolutely worn out from taking care of him. This, this cancer was, very aggressive and progressed very quickly through his body. And so after this very long night, uh, my brother all of a sudden opened his eyes and he wanted to sit up. And so I helped him sit up. Now, as a former nurse, I knew that this was actually an indication of the end. Mm. But I helped him sit up and I held him up for a little while. And we talked for just a little bit and then he wanted to lie back down again. So I, I helped him back into the bed and uh, he went right back to sleep and, and uh, really in a comatose state. And as he did, I broke down and began to cry. And I, I just cried out to God verbally with my mouth, not just in my head, with my mouth. If he's going to die anyway, why does he have to suffer? And then I looked up and I said, or do you even know we're here? Can you even see us? Do we matter to you anymore? Hmm. And Mike, I kid you not, within 30 seconds, my phone started dinging. And I thought somebody was like sending little one sentence messages to me, like, hey, send, how are you, send, how's man, send, you know, that kind of thing. My window, my, my phone was sitting in the windowsill. I snatched the phone up. I looked down. I kid you not, I had somewhere between 10 and 12 independent messages. Hey, the Lord just put you on my heart. I'm praying for you. Mm. That kind of thing. So don't tell me God doesn't speak because he spoke through those people. And what he was saying to me was, yes, I see you. I'm still here. I love you. I've got it. And within two hours, my brother was in the arms of the Savior. Mm. And what was even more beautiful was after all those messages came in, one, another one came in, and it was from a mutual friend of my brother's and mine, and she said, this is it. What do you need? <laughs> what do you need? And I said, I need a shower. I stinketh. That's exactly the way I said it. I stinketh. I was kind of like Lazarus. I had been holding my brother. He had morphine sweats. 
and it it just rubs off. It just stinks. And she said, be there in 20. And so not only was I able to jump in the shower really quick and get out, but our friend sat on one side of my brother and I sat on the other with our hands on him as he took his last breath. And that was a gift. That was God seeing my need that I didn't need to be alone in that moment. I needed to have somebody who knew me there with me. And he sent Sam. So I know God speaks. He speaks through dreams. He speaks through his word. I I don't know. I've got a question. I don't know. I don't know what to do. Da, 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 or whatever. And I don't know about the situation. And I'm reading the word and it's like the words just pop up. Here's your answer right here. And then sometimes you just kind of hear this whisper in your ear. It's not maybe an audible whisper. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it isn't. But you hear something. It's like I didn't. I hadn't heard that two seconds ago, but now I have. I didn't know it two seconds ago, but now I do. That's God. Well, Eva Marie, my friend, um, this has been wonderful, and we are out of time. Thank you very much for sharing your heart. This has been great, and I agree that God does speak in so many different ways. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And thank you, my friends, and we'll talk to you next time. Do you want to be free? Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse. Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at blazinggrace.org. Email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call the office at 719-888-5144. This program was sponsored by Blazing Grace Ministries.